0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Charting Queer Health, a podcast at the intersection of queer culture, healthcare, and research. On behalf of Howard Brown Health in Chicago, you know me. I'm your host, Matt. I'm a cis, white, gay man, a Chicago resident. But more importantly, I have the incredible opportunity to sit down with various experts from across our organization and across our community to learn from their expertise, amplify their stories and voices, and advance the conversation surrounding queer healthcare. Before we dive into the episode, I wanted to let you know that we want to hear from you. There is a form in the description of this episode with a few questions about the podcast. uh, And I just want to know what we're doing well, what we can improve on, uh, all fun stuff like that. So uh, if you're a listener, go ahead and fill that out. Uh, We really appreciate it. Thanks. Welcome back to episode two of our uh, series on ADHD. We're going to jump right in where we left off on episode one. I just realized in my own self-narrative that when I think of... This, yeah, it it does class and race do play a big part of it. That and I don't think people are even consciously conscious that they're thinking of it that way. Um, but like because it is the like the the school, you know, manifestation is and and depiction is so popular, where I went to school was very white. Um And so that's what I picture when I think of this, and that has ramifications for, you know, everything, how you deal with it going forward, and how you think of it in relation to other people, all sorts of stuff. So that's a fascinating point. Um, Yeah, and I I asked about, like, the kind of, like, nature versus nurture in regards to, like, gender, because I... uh, it was my like one high school project that I remember stuff from, but it was uh, about how we we always we relate to girls growing up and as children we talk to them and use emotions and mm-hmm. toys are dolls and um, social situations and imagining playing house things like that. And for boys, it's you know trucks, blocks, building. There's less emotional stuff and more motor stuff. So it would make sense that we see manifestations more prompt. Like m- more um, frequently in boys in motor skills and like hyperactivity, and in girls in um, social and uh, attentive stuff. That's a theory, and I probably you are probably Yeah, like, no. I mean, I think
1: no, no. I think what what tends to present in girls is more the the quote unquote hyperactivity is that internal piece, oh. which is the part that's missing in a lot of the mainstream kind of dialogue about ADHD is. Um, the hyperarousal can be cognitive, it can be internal. Mm-hmm. And so girls tend to uh, present that way and then they're missed. And then again, even the, the boys who present that way are that also missed in the, yeah. in the numbers, right? Because of the predominant narrative being that hyperactive gotcha. kid, which again is the, the lesser common type. Yeah. Um, but I think to speak to what you're saying, in a system like the educational system, the kid bouncing off the walls is more disruptive, mm-hmm. and is gonna, um, you know, maybe get routed into the counselor. Or um, unfortunately, again, if we want to talk about multiple overlapping right. systems, um, the the some go to the counselor, right? Some might go to the I forgot what do you call it? like the resource officer? Is that what they call police officers in uh, school? It
0: depends on what language your district <laughs> wants to use. Whatever but, yeah. the
1: cop, the cop if yeah. your school has a cop, right? is that, again, class and race mm-hmm. are going to impact uh, another system like a school's or the community's response to an, an ADHD presentation. So uh, what we know about folks who are involved um, in the criminal justice system is that there are higher rates of ADHD in that system. And I think that's not unrelated to um, problems with our healthcare and racism and classism.
0: So... This, and this is why I love this episode, because ADHD really does extend into so many different systems and so many different identities within our country that it really um, behooves us to to educate ourselves on it because, yeah, it it plays a big role. So not to to linger on that too much more, but um, let's dive into the different types, because this also factors into a question that I forgot to ask, which is... I had heard it as ADD mm-hmm. for a while, and then it was ADHD. And are those still two different things? Is it outdated language? And how, where do the types fit into that?
1: Yeah. So uh, we don't, so ADD is not a, a yeah. clinical term anymore. Okay. It was at one point. Uh, you do hear it used colloquially, so people still talk yeah. about it, People still reference it. Historically, what it referred to was that more inattentive presentation type, which I'll go through in a second. Um, so it was uh, one one kind of presentation that we now all clump under ADHD gotcha. today, um, but you'll still hear parents, teachers, yeah. people still talk about it. Um, so it's still used, but in terms of like clinically, diagnostically, that's an outdated gotcha. term. Uh, There's really no difference other than a type, right? Um, so what we do see is these three types. So again. Um, the one that we think about most often mm-hmm. sort of is this predominantly hyperactive, impulsive type. Uh, this is the stereotypical uh, bouncing off the walls, fidgeting, interrupting, talkative, running, climbing, um, difficulty waiting in their turn, things like that. So that that is again the smaller of the three, the smaller percentage of the three kinds. Um, the other kind is predominantly inattentive type. This is the most common. So this is forgetfulness. Difficulties focusing, organizing, listening skills. Um, this is the one, again, most often presents more like a mood disorder. Um, people with this might be spacey, spacey, apathetic, uh, that kind of presentation. Um, so the hyperactivity isn't a physical, ex, like an external presentation. It's this internal or cognitive or mental. And then folks go under the radar with mm-hmm. that. Um, another less common. Trait of that presentation or of ADHD is what we call lexothymia, which is basically a fancy word for saying um, a difficulty identifying or describing emotions or distinguishing between emotions and body sensations, right? So they're more externally oriented. Uh, This is about like 20 to 40-ish percent of people with ADHD, and this ends up then making them more vulnerable for other things like um, substance use or social difficulties because Mm. The ability to sort of know yourself and your emotional, like where you're at emotionally, what are you thinking and feeling, that's actually a a skill that's sort of needed to buffer against some of these other vulnerabilities that we see. So that's kind of the inattentive type, Mm -hmm. again, more common. Um, And typically then adults with this thing fly under the radar, they don't don't get diagnosed. Um, And then the third type is like what we call a combined type, which is exactly what it sounds
0: like. So, yeah, it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, yeah. When 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 I was first learning what this was, there was no nuance in different typing. And so, like, I, my best friend growing up got, like, diagnosed and put on Ritalin in fourth grade. Uh, and because I was not bouncing off the walls, you know, our parents looked at us and were like, oh, obviously, his name's Joe. He's fine if I say this. Um Joe has it. Matt's obviously not of that same energy level. So it's fine. Um, but I love uh, that we've kind of parsed it out a little bit more and can acknowledge that there's different types. And, and within those types, is everybody going to have all of those kind of typical, um, you know, traits or representations of that type? Or can it vary?
1: No, not necessarily, right? So ADHD is, again, like, I encourage sort of more of the lens of thinking about it as a spectrum of traits. Mm -hmm. So no two people with ADHD are going to have the exact same experience, but it's generally like a spectrum of these. Folks may have them more or less um, than others, but it's sort of like the combination of them generally, and uh, are they impacting your day-to-day functioning?
0: Yeah, that was uh, when I got screened, they were like, "We, we... Check to see that it's not, you know, um, overlapping with another uh, diagnosis like a- anxiety or, or schizophrenia or anything. Um, that it impacts all areas of your life, not just work, not just home, not just relationships, but all three, um, and that it's been present in some form throughout your life. Um, which I think made sense to me. But along those lines, because it is a spectrum, do we do we run into issues diagnosing or over diagnosing? Because that's something I've seen. At least a little bit of dialogue around is that because it's so common and because the medications prescribed for it can have kind of off-label benefits for people that, you know, people seek uh, an ADHD diagnosis that may not need it or, or how, how does that complicate what you do as a provider when you're trying to diagnose somebody?
1: Yeah, I think my lens just generally with anybody who's coming in for help is um, I'm going to sit more with the possibility of something being present than rather like checking it off the list right away. Like I want to make sure I'm really uh, spending enough time with a person and getting to know what their experience is. And again, the big trend with ADHD is not enough time spent asking about a person's internal experience, Mm. more time spent on behavior checklists by teachers and, and parents or whatever. Um, you know, so again, yeah, this, this narrative, like everybody has ADHD or like, aren't we all a little ADHD, uh, you know, which is something that people with ADHD hear a lot when they're like, I just, I really had a hard time getting this done. They're like, well, me too. I didn't want to do it either, but like I still did it. Right. Um, and those sort of like dismissive comments by people who don't have ADHD, um, so again, similar to our last podcast, we are talking about the, to what degree in the severity are you experiencing mm. these traits? So uh, I saw this post online that I thought kind of captured this well, which is like, sure, we all go to the bathroom. But if you're getting up and going to the bathroom 60 times a day, something's wrong, right? right? So yes, we all forget our keys from time to time. Have you been fired from your last three jobs because you forgot your keys and were late? Mm. Like that's a, that's a difference of sort of degree and severity. Right. Mm -hmm. But it can be really, you know, it can be really painful and hard for people with ADHD that have their experiences sort of minimized in that way. It adds to that shame. I talked about that harsh inner dialogue, the inner critic, um, and motivates people to isolate and engage less, um, to protect themselves from that sort of uh rejection sensitivity to d- dysphoria that we yeah. talked about earlier. Um, you know, so but again, this is 4.4% of the US, probably more. Uh, I don't think it's overdiagnosed. I think that's mm-hmm. um an inaccurate narrative okay. that's around. I actually think it's still underdiagnosed. Um, you know, but I think you are right that it is being diagnosed more, but mm-hmm. that's because I think the diagnostics are catching up to the actual lived experience of people with ADHD, but we're still missing folks. Um, And part of that too is also one that people don't know enough about ADHD, just in primary care or even in my own mental health field, but also again, because the comorbidity rate with other psychiatric conditions is as high as 80%. So Mm. people are presenting with substance use, depression, anxiety, OCD, social anxieties, and, that sort of gaining that's sort of like the low-hanging fruit if you will right and those um, are
0: sometimes seem like high priority items like if somebody is you know in extreme having extremely depressive episodes you know that has probably you know could have implications on somebody's health and safety if they're having you know suicidal ideations you're going to address that and anything else like that before you're going to go to ADHD because ADHD doesn't normally, you know, present or, or cause that. It's not of, on people's radar, oh, Right, that you know, immediate not sort on of the health radar. issue. So, I mean, that makes sense. Um, yeah.
1: I think statistically that they say about 20, only 20% of adults with ADHD are actually getting psychiatric care for that. Um, So we are missing more than we are landing (laughs) in treating these folks. Yeah,
0: we're treating symptoms. Because like I said, I got a prescription for Prozac and that did treat the sadness, but the root of the sadness was my inability to function in normal society. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's a great point because I I hear that a lot, especially like you hear it a lot in like college or like in young professionals who think that uh, ADHD meds are quick fixes to like pull study vendors and stuff and and do things like that. And so the narrative is that everybody's, you know, trying to get a ADHD diagnosis. But if you think about in terms of the entire population, probably on the, on the whole, very underdiagnosed. So that's not good to hear that it's underdiagnosed, but um, uh, a good point to keep in mind when people, when you're maybe in those situations where it seems like everybody's having you know, an Adderall or whatever. I mentioned it a little bit, but like when I got my diagnosis, it was a 40-minute Zoom call. And that was it. I won't name where I got the diagnosis from uh, because they are in Chicago. Uh, But it was very quick and it was mostly just uh, me recalling stories um, and the other person sharing scenarios and I would tell them if that sounded familiar. That was about it. Strikes me as a little short um, and it seems like people would probably be able to nod and agree if they were interested in a diagnosis, even if they didn't necessarily have those experiences. And then I contrast that with my niece who is 10, got diagnosed at eight. Um, The amount of very pricey uh, examinations and therapists and trials and med trials that she had to go through to find something that worked for her So it seems like there is maybe a wide variety of protocol that people take to diagnose people. Is that the case? Should that be the case? How does that all shake out? How do we diagnose this?
1: Yeah. um, So I don't know. I don't know who uh, treated you, but I actually, when done by a... ADHD trained specialist, I love the idea of what you got was probably likely what we call like a clinical interview. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think it's a lower barrier access to care for people who have ADHD. Yeah. Um and the and is if it's someone who is not trained, the concern that you mentioned about like could people just say yes and yeah. get some, like, yeah, that's that's possible, right? Um, But I I love that trend more. I actually have not heard that as much as I would like to, but again, the person needs to have training. Um, But traditionally what we see is what you talked about um, with your family member, which is like it's this battery of psychological tests. Mm -hmm. They're generally looking at a couple of things. One of them is working memory. That's sort of like um, the short-term memory, the small amount of memory we need to kind of just hold in our mind to be able to execute some other kind of cognitive task. That's one thing we're looking at in that. Then we're also looking at that executive functioning, which we've talked about a couple times, right? So the set of cognitive processes that are involved in um, how to carry out a goal, right? Planning, self-monitoring, self-control, time management organization. So there's a battery of tests that can kind of get at that. Um, Typically then those uh, findings are then corroborated with these behavior scales that teachers parents tend to do for their kids right Mm. so again it's an external rater looking at external behaviors so we've talked about why that's going to miss a large chunk of folks with it right Right. it's going to miss that internal um typically that's like what it's always been again i think it's high it's high barrier right the tests are expensive
0: Um, And it's just a lot of work. Like, my sister had to go, yeah, like you said, collect statements, like, written statements from, like, two different teachers, all their mm -hmm. behavioral assessments from school, coupled with forms that my sister had to fill out, that she had to have her daughter fill out. Like, it's a whole thing to put together this, like, statement, this, like, document about this comprehensive look at her. Uh, and so, yeah, that does seem very high barrier.
1: Yeah. Let me tell you why it's not my favorite. Um, (laughs) why I think it's, uh, not the best way that we should be doing it. Um, the problem with it is that a testing situation, particularly for high achieving children and adults, is that a testing situation is going to create the exact environment that will quote unquote, like make ADHD traits quote, like go away. Obviously they don't, they don't go away. Right. But um, it's creating a um, structured, high-motivated, challenging, gamifying kind of environment oh. with novelty, right? Yeah. So all of those are the things that really work with an ADHD brain to focus and finish a task, right? So we get a lot of false negatives through these batteries of tests, which are upwards of three, 000, four thousand yeah. dollars, right? Um, And again, those behavior rating scales from other adults are external. Um, They don't get at the internal process that the person is experiencing with their ADHD and that many people actually learn how to what we call mask ADHDers Mm -hmm. in an attempt to, again, mitigate that rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria, and other things that come along with um, ADHD, is they will learn how to mask their symptoms to mimic neurotypical people because that's what They have learned will get them praise or acceptance. Um, Mm. So, uh, by the time they're adults, they're like near experts at, you know, kind of hiding or masking parts of their authentic self. Um, So, those aren't getting picked up. Um, Generally, when I talk to people, I say there is no quote unquote test for ADHD. There isn't one. Um, All we have is the criteria in the DSM, which again is sort of that book of um
0: the psychological bible criteria. yes so the speak. psychological
1: bible um, all we have is that so yeah. a skilled clinician can do that clinical interview um, and based off that conversation gathering a person's history um, can accurately diagnose adhd much cheaper we're talking about mm-hmm. maybe 100 200 dollars yeah. um, as opposed to again that multi-thousand dollar battery of tests Right. Um, And I would love to see the shift away from the heavy testing only requirement, because I think it's, again, one of these barriers that is missing um, or not serving such a large percentage of people who have ADHD and are absolutely deserving of the treatment and support around
0: it. It also strikes me that like the, the internal portion that you say gets missed on a lot of those And, and even if we were focusing on it, it strikes me as a challenge to try to get a kid to be able to accurately talk about their emotions because sometimes they don't have the words for it. They, they like, if it doesn't manifest in like an outward consequence, uh, and their, their, you know, their brain is just running depending on when and at what age a kid might not know how to describe that or, or that that's abnormal or anything like that. So it, it. I'll. I'll stand to serve your point that like we are probably underdiagnosing our population as opposed to over.
1: Well, and think like developmentally, children. A like what you said, like don't necessarily have the skill set to accurately uh, interpret their internal world. Mm-hmm. They don't have the language. Even kids without ADHD. Then, yeah. if you have kids with ADHD, right, we're talking about that alexithymia, which is already um, right a difficulty emotions, in naming yeah. emotions and expressing them. Um, you know, so. Children aren't gonna have the language for that quite yet, um, and we're gonna we're gonna miss it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and the in the age of the iPad kid, um, you have a lot of like. I know my mom's probably more old school, and where she feels like everybody uh, because of you know every kid having an iPad. It seems like every kid has ADHD because they quote unquote can't focus. What would you say regarding that narrative? Because if we're still, we know it's so genetic. So it's not like our society is like gearing kids towards inattentiveness. Um, But it seems like a lot of people think that way, that because of this fast paced world that we live in and the internet and everything that we are conditioning our kids to, you know, be inattentive and and that as a result, we have this like surging number of cases of ADHD.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good question, because in that example that you gave, I think part of what also adds to the barriers of getting accurately diagnosed is if, again, if the, if we have a high percentage of genetic, you know, of it being heritable, and then you have a parent listening to their kid, and the kid is saying, I'm having difficulty in this specific way, and you have a parent who also has undiagnosed ADHD mm-hmm. going, Well, everybody's like that because the parent is like that, right? Right. And that's their experience. And they're not knowing also that they could be having some of these traits of of ADHD, um, right? So I think that's one piece that sort of happens is sort of intergenerational um, because a parent might not recognize it as it's not different than their own. um, And they might just sort of think that, You know, it goes it goes missed in that way. Right now, what I can say is that there are studies where the rates, um, the prevalence of ADHD are different in different countries um, in a significant way. And that's that piece where we talked about in the beginning, where I said there's this highly genetic piece. There's some environmental like sort of the smaller categories are environmental. And then you like acquired through a brain injury or through maybe COVID. That's kind of something you're checking out. Right. Um, so there are folks who are studying that, like, are there particular things in an environment that can mitigate or exacerbate the development of that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's part of the conversation. I think clinically what I'm thinking about is like, I got someone in front of me who's talking about this, like their struggles Mm -hmm. with it. Um, you know, while it's important in the field to think a bigger picture about where it's coming from. Um, The fact of the matter is we have a large number of people who are, who are struggling with uh, the impact of having undiagnosed and untreated ADHD. And that should be the predominant narrative as opposed to like, where can I find places to poke holes that like it's the tablet or it's video games, you know, or, or whatever, as opposed to being like this, this is it. Like yeah, wait, <laughs> you know, yeah,
0: yeah. then that, that narrative of like blaming it on the, you know, internet and stuff doesn't really serve to accomplish anything. So that's an excellent point like why are we wasting our time talking about that when we should just be treating what we're seeing in front of us.
1: Yeah. But um, definitely people are doing the bigger picture stuff about like why might we see it higher in this country mm-hmm. and not in others and um that's certainly that's certainly important.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the treatment. Like I started to get into before um it seems like treatment is something that people think that they probably know all the options that are out there uh, which correct me if I'm wrong might be just you know an Adderall, Ritalin, things like that are there more options what does that look like does it do does how we treat ADHD change depending on um who we're treating
1: yeah. So my approach is always going to be like, let's do a multifaceted thing. Like I'm never a fan in any kind of, in any kind of anything of being like, let's just do this one thing and mm-hmm. run with it. Um, so typically in my work as a psychologist, I'm not usually the like, let's go to medication as the first tool in our toolbox type of clinician. Um, maybe the one of the only exceptions would be uh, ADHD. Hmm. And that's because it is, uh, the most effective treatment we have It is twice as effective as any other kind of behavioral modification, uh, we can do around it. Now, that being said, medication should not be the only thing that we're doing to support people with ADHD. Um, but again, it's not a mental health condition. It's a neurodevelopmental one and the medications are really good at keeping the ADHD brain from getting distracted Mm. and it quiets the brain noise for folks who have kind of just a lot of internal noise in there, it can quiet it pretty well. Um, So medication can be one, but a common thing you hear in the ADHD field is pills don't teach skills, Mm. which is um, they just help it make it easier to then learn the things we need to do to um, help our brain or to adjust the environment our brain is in to make it work to our advantage as opposed to sort of like working harder. Um, So the medications are certainly one. There are mostly stimulants like you named. There's also some non-stimulant options like Stratera is a Mm non-stimulant option for treating ADHD. Um, But again, the meds make things like ADHD coaching and education and therapy easier Uh, We can also talk about academic or vocational supports in those spaces. Um, I would also recommend that partners of people with ADHD uh, and parents uh, get education and therapy around it too, so that they can better understand how ADHD might be impacting those relationships because parents of kids with ADHD report more stress Mm. and partnerships in which one or both people have ADHD, have higher rates of divorce Mm. um, because of the way traits, if they're unmanaged, to sort of impact their relationship long-term. So again, uh, you want to figure out ways to work with your brain. I see ADHD as a variation of the norm. And again, the world is just structured for neurotypicals for the Mm. most part. Um, We can do two kinds of skills building. One is called bottom-up, which is input- sort of from our external environment. Um, so these are things like find change the lighting in the room. Mm. People have with ADHD have sensitivity to certain kinds of lights. The noise, um, and this can go either way. Some people need absolute silence and some people need noise mm. to sort of quiet the loudness that's in their brain, sort of a distraction from the noise inside their brain. Right. And they need noise. That's sort of, again, one of those things where people don't present all the same. Um, So you can modify your environment. You can ask for what you need. Um, Sleep schedules, noise machines, eating more protein, getting exercise. Those are all things not related to medication that can help. Um, Then we have top-down
0: skills, which is drawing... So eating more protein can help?
1: Yeah. You should have a high-protein diet, particularly at breakfast in the morning.
0: Interesting. I just... I uh, always struggle to eat. Uh, I'm not, like... Sitting down mm-hmm. and eating a meal has never been a strength of mine. And um, I, I chronically skip breakfast. That I, is
1: likely due to your ADHD. Oh. That is, uh, so people with ADHD have a hard time um, remembering to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and particularly when they're in that sort of hyper-focused state, which I said, again, it's a attention modulation issue, right? So either I can't concentrate or I'm very, I'm doing a lot of the concentration. Right. When they're in that concentration mode, that hyper-focus, like time sort of like slips it into is, the background. Yeah. So you don't go to the bathroom, you don't eat, you don't drink water. So like setting timers for those things to be like, you should be eating every three hours. It should have protein um, in it. Those kinds of things will help you stay focused.
0: Right. Like it's 4 p.m. and I had a donut today. Right. Uh, that sounds right. So interesting.
1: Yeah. So those are bottom up. Top yeah. down Our um, like thinking about our thinking. Right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of yeah. meta, like metacognition. Um, and when you do things right, when they work out well, asking yourself, how exactly did I do that? That should be just a question that's like seared into the back of your brain. Yeah. How ex- exactly is the important part of that? Did I do that? So what steps did I take specifically? What was the lighting? What did I eat? When did I exercise in the day? Did I pull an account of Bill Buddy in? Did I use an alarm? Things like that. How and why did it go that way? Yes. um, And to get really intentional about thinking when things work. And then you can sort of build this whole toolbox of things that work with your brain as Mm. you learn your brain better and better over time and then have multiple skills. Because like, even if one works 80% of the time, there's going to be 20% of the time that it doesn't and Mm -hmm. you're going to need to kind of switch out your tools. Um, So thinking about our thinking top-down stuff. Um, yeah, so I, I think you can do a combination again, medication and not, I will always respect someone's decision to not, uh, use medication, mm-hmm. right? Uh, anybody's decision to do whatever with their bodies, I will respect that. Um, my role, I see it as providing as much information to a person so that they can make an informed decision because there are so many misconceptions about medication um, and I want to clear those up. So then people, and then at the end of the day, if they're still like, I feel the same way, I don't want to do it. Then I'm like, cool, we're good. Um, you know, but like a, a lot, for example, you kind of mentioned it earlier is this misconception about it's a stimulant and I'm mm-hmm. going to get addicted to it. Yeah. Um, what we know about people with ADHD who are taking stimulants is they are actually less, they're, they're less likely to get addicted generally the earlier they are put on a stimulant, right? So preferably in grade school Mm. for kids who are put on a stimulant with ADHD in grade school have way lower rates of substance use disorders later on in life than their peers with ADHD who didn't. And that's because again, if the brain, the ADHD brain, which I don't know if we talked about this, but um, one of the parts of it neurochemically is that it's deficient in dopamine. So it is constantly going to be looking for dopamine and one of the quick fixes substance use. is substance use, right? Yeah. It's an instant high. Um, so people who... Which
0: feeds into the, you know, substance use, um, uh, criminal justice, prison, you, you know, you said... Yes. Uh, anyways, sorry, yeah. I was drawing that connection. Keep going. So
1: they're more likely to
0: have um, a substance use mm-hmm. issue later in life. Um
1: but also a large percentage of people with ADHD who are using substances are using them just to feel normal. We also Mm -hmm. hear that too, like they self-medicate, um, it calms them down, uh, quiets their brain. Um, you know, so that's what we know about that. What we also know too again about people with ADHD who've already developed a substance use issue because we didn't kind of catch it earlier to mitigate that risk is that medicating them for the ADHD will reduce their risk of returning to use Mm. and reduce the amount and frequency of their use. Um, So the narrative around, you know, the the scariness or whatever of meds is pretty misinformed. Um, You know, and the fact of the matter is is that someone with ADHD is way more likely to forget to take their meds than to become addicted to them. Yeah. Um, and by definition, if you like, forget to, to take them, you're not addicted. Like, yeah, you know. Yeah.
0: That's an excellent point. Cause that's something I heard from, yeah, my sister too. And she was knowing that, you know, something needed to be treated with my niece that she's like, I don't want to pursue everything else besides meds at first, which is fair. And like you said, we respect that decision, but then, you know, after a couple of years of that, it's pretty apparent that whatever risks that may or may not be there or that she was perceiving with prescribing medication to my niece uh, is vastly outweighed by the benefits that will be apparent.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the truth of it is ADHD is associated with so many harmful health outcomes that actually those are way higher than the risks of being on a stimulant. Um, But I think of a a Close friend of mine who has ADHD who likened to trying to do it without meds as uh, mowing your lawn with scissors.
0: Yes. she's
1: like, sure, like you could do it, right? Like you could mow your lawn with scissors. It's gonna be, it's gonna be way less efficient. It's gonna be painful, and at some point you're probably gonna give up and be like, this isn't worth it. Mm-hmm. And then, then again, that's gonna add to that narrative of like being a failure, right. not being able to do things, shame spiral. Um, that. whatever, you know, so I like that metaphor. There's also a, a big guy in the field who talks about like likening it to vision problems when people are like, well, okay, maybe I'm open to glasses, but like, I just want to try squinting for a year first. <laughs> and like, you could squint for a year, like you could do that. Right. But, um, it's going to be a lot easier to learn things when you have your glasses That's on. An
0: excellent so, metaphor. and even if you
1: squint or even if you use scissors, you're still going to miss You're still going to miss really
0: big, important things. Oh, my goodness. I hadn't thought of it that way, that like, yeah, you can squint, but it's not like you'd ever become addicted to your glasses. Like, you just need them. Right. And they're not
1: going to hurt your eyes. Now, I have 20-20 vision. If I put glasses on, they're going to hurt my eyes. Right. Because I I don't need them, right? So for people who don't need a stimulant and use it, that's not the 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 situation. It's not. Yeah, it's not the same. It's not the situation we're talking about with an ADHD brain.
0: So... Interesting. I We've covered a lot. This has been bombshell after bombshell for me, uh, just in terms of how I view my own uh, diagnosis. But I think there's a lot of useful information in this. And like you said, we could probably keep talking about it. Um, I've already held you longer than I said I would. So to, to wrap this up, um, the same question I always ask, which is, if we had to try to correct the narrative or to remind people of one thing, to put a bow on this episode and this um, idea of ADHD, how how would you do that? How would you um, give somebody something to take away from this?
1: Yeah, I just I love this topic so much. So I, I maybe have like a couple bows.
0: That's okay. <laughs> It's a really well wrapped gift.
1: one of yeah, it's uh, very decorated. So uh, my first one is again this I, I'm a huge I talked about it last time too a huge proponent of self-compassion.
0: Mm.
1: ADHD when unsupported brings about a lot of disappointment, frustration, there's a temptation to give up. There's a lot of grief that goes into it. Um, even after diagnosis there's a lot of grief of like what I could like life could have been so different you yeah. know had I been diagnosed earlier. Um, and again, that shame that we talked about in the shame spiraling. So um, treat yourself with self-compassion. Look yeah. for the times that went right. Um, find yourself a good support system, cheerleaders, people who think you are great even on the days that you're struggling because those people exist. Um, you know. So I would say get yourself a support system. Be very self-compassionate with yourself. Um, You know, you don't have to do this alone. And I think in a lot of ways that ADHD can uh, tell people they need to to isolate Mm -hmm. and do it alone and that um, they don't really fit in anywhere. And that's just not the case. So go find your people. Um, that celebrate you. Uh, the other piece I would say is to start cataloging like the positive features of your ADHD. Mm. So uh, everybody who knows me knows I'm not like a silver lining person. So this is not, let me just disclaimer, this is not a silver lining. Um, the challenges that come along with ADHD are very real and valid. This is about celebrating the aspects of ADHD that make people with it so fun mm-hmm. and loving and creative and, um, Like I said, some of my very most favorite people in my life have ADHD, right? So start trying to think of sort of the flip side of some of the traits of ADHD that we as a culture have sort of made negative, right? Um, So some of these things we hear is that maybe uh, they're disorganized. Think about it as spontaneity. Mm -hmm. Um, The hyperactivity or restlessness is energetic. Um, Difficulty staying focused is sort of like seeing all these connections other people don't see having these many attentions right thinking outside the box um the moodiness can be seen as like sensitive Mm -hmm. right and you see all the emotional nuance and things that are in the world right um so that would be my other aspect is like look this is this is treatable you can get support around this um it's not like a death sentence and in some ways it makes you who you are Mm -hmm. we just need to support people with adhd brains in knowing how to navigate our pretty neurotypical world with their unique set of learning and um like traits that go along with that and make them work for them
0: i love that that it's not uh people lump it in with all sorts of other conditions, and it's it's just a, a divergence from the quote unquote norm. And all we're doing is kind of allowing people to bridge that gap uh, when it's necessary and important to accomplish goals, to you know, exist in society, whatever, and solving those problems as they may appear. But it's not. Um, yeah, I, I just think the narrative around it is is probably wor- worse than it should be like just the, I, I don't know. I keep thinking of, of the way like kids that did get diagnosed early in elementary school had it and how they were like spoken about mm-hmm. um, and like referred to or kind of written off as like, oh, like it's an ADHD kid. Like it's, it, it was just a very negative tone overall. And I love the sentiment of reframing how we talk about it, how we think about it. And I think that in turn opens the door for a lot of other, um, uh, neurodivergent individuals to do the same even if it's not ADHD whatever that looks like um, to kind of open the door wider in terms of how our society is structured uh, and the the um, amount of treatments that are available for people um, to kind of bring everybody in on the party so to speak I don't know that was a tangent but we will wrap it up there um, Caitlin, thank you so much for coming back again. Um, this will be a two-part episode for sure. So if you're <laughs> sticking with us and we're at the end of episode two, thank you uh, for listening everyone. Um, yeah, all I can say is thank you. And until next time, I appreciate you so much.
1: And thank you for having me. And I also just wanna say thank you too, to the people in my life who have ADHD, who have um, opened up to me and can contributed so much to my own learning around um, this. And I love them and thank them for that. I'm not going to name them, but they know, they would know who they are they if they listen to this. They know who they, are. This, so, they, know who they uh, are. They know who they are. And thank you to them for making my life um, so much more fun and
0: enjoyable. That's such a great sentiment. Thank you so much. And that is the end of our series on ADHD. I will include some resources in the description below. And there's also a little form down there to fill out, uh, to give us some feedback about charting queer health. I would so appreciate if you took two minutes to do that. Uh, But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening.